And so today, as we begin in 1 John chapter 2, I'm, I will be dropping back into the preceding chapter a little bit, and we're not going to get very far into the chapter. We're going to see a couple of, of truths that are really, really important that John just keeps on speaking of them. But one of them today is going to be God's great heart desire. You're going to see it in the first verse. The, the heartbeat of God, the passion of God, what God deeply desires for us as his children. And the second thing we're going to see is this, this almost hidden gift that God has to give his children. And it's, we're going to find it in just two verses, his, his desire in his heart. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Look at that first phrase here with me that John pens to, and he uses the term little children. It's, a, it, it's an expression that John used often. As you look at that, this expression, he was also speaking of, of his desire that we could receive the word as a child. There's many times as God teaches us in the word of God, he comes to a place of saying, you're probably not going to get this until you be, your heart's like a little child. Until you come at my feet and say, Lord, what do you have for me here? And John writes this, my little children, they were mature believers. They were all over uh, various areas in service. But John here takes the time to acknowledge them as his little children. And he says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. There's God's desire. That's his heartbeat. He's saying, I am the purpose of my writing. Several times in the book, John opens up the purpose of his writing. He'll write this. I, I write this so you'll know that you have eternal life. I write this uh, so you can love your brothers. But here his heartbeat is, I am writing to you as my little children that you don't sin. For a moment, you look at that, and it's just like this huge wall goes up. You go, you got to be kidding. Look at me. Look at last week. Look at maybe this morning. But what John is writing of here is a, a heartbeat of God that God just keeps pouring into us, that our affection rises above this world. Our love for him goes higher. We start wanting him more than those things. And it happens in many, many ways. You, you even find this with men of God and women of God throughout the Old Testament. David's an example of that. Uh, a heart that just sought God. Now, he was not perfect. He failed and he stumbled. We all know some of the stories of David's life. But here John is saying, I'm going to put up a great big standard. It's like the other day I was watching the, the, the guys preparing for the Olympics trying to jump over the highest rung they could in pole vaulting, and they would, get, go, they would go for all they were worth, and they would just barely miss the top of the bar. And for a moment, I think we can see this, but I think as we look at God's great heart desire, 
And we also recognize his hidden gift. He's going to teach us you can go over the top of the bar. You say, you got to be kidding, because you say, let's look, look back with me. We said we were just pastor. We were just back in chapter 1, verse 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. There's, hold it. Is this a contradiction? In verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And now you're saying, in the word of God, my, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Psalm 19, verses 12 through 14, David expresses this heart that God is seeking as his heart is turned toward us. As God turns his heart toward us, he is wanting our heart to respond to him. He's looking at hearts. He's looking at inward. Who can, who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. You know, there's one of the trip-ups of sin, isn't it? Hidden faults. Those blind spots, we just about forgot about that one. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. That's those willful sins. Okay, I don't care. I'm going to do it any, anyway. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of the great transgression. But David summarizes this and he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What we see with David is God, I want my heart to be right with you. And John writes and says, I'm writing this that we don't sin. I'm going to give you a really high mark in Christ Jesus it's too high for you to go over the top of unless you find the power beyond yourself. But I'm, I'm giving you this very high mark that you don't sin. Paul in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2, in that great, great exorcist of teaching on the redemption of Jesus, but the condition of man and what God does when Paul comes to the sixth chapter, he has just spoken about the great sufficiency of Jesus, how great his sacrifice is. But then he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Can grace give me license? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Paul is saying, we already died. We, have, we are learning that through the book of Romans. We died in, at the cross. How can we go back and live like that any longer? But here in this writing, he says, I, I have a great heart desire for my people. And I think sometimes we say, well, yeah, I, I understand that. But, you know, we all fail and we're all Christians. We all walk in the flesh. But God says, you're missing my heart desire. My heart desire is that your heart would be there. That you would say, Lord, I don't want to sin. I don't want to go there. It doesn't matter whether it's by imagination, by thought, by pretense, by gossip. It doesn't matter. God, I don't want to go there by your grace. And here he says, uh, gives us something that is a great challenge. You know, growing up as a young guy, I noticed something with my grandpa. My grandpa, when he, would, when he would drive a car and he'd come to a stop sign, he just kind of coasted through the stop sign. 
I don't know how many of you can relate to that. Debbie reminds me of that sometimes. But I noticed my dad came along and he coasted through the stop sign. No big deal. Got a couple tickets along the way. And I came along and I coasted through the stop signs too. But it's about 15 years ago, one day I got a letter from the Los Angeles City Municipal Court. And in that letter was a bill for $450 for coasting through a shop sign in Los Angeles when I was looking at railroad track that we were maintaining. And I thought, they've got to be kidding. They've got to be kidding. There was no policeman there. All they have is those cam, those cam pictures up there to take those pictures. And what happened was that I turned the next page, or in the back of that page, and it had a picture of me in my red Avis rental car cruising through the stop sign. We've all been there. You know, I would look back, and whenever I think about coasting anymore, I still probably do it. I do it. <laughs> Not as much. Because I look back and I think about how it was something, in so, something so insignificant that was really a transgression. You know, a lot of times that's the way it is. It's the blind spot. It's the hidden thing. It's the things that we do not uh, at first see as really there that John was calling us out on here and saying, I am, uh, I'm writing this, and let's look at this again, because this is God's desire. This is his heart. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Notice then, again, remember your little children, and I'm writing this, and, there, and I have a, a purpose in my writing. I don't want you to sin. Because it'll separate you from God. It will sever your fellowship. It will reduce your ministry. It will affect so many ways in which you connect in Jesus, both with him and with other people. And this is John just starting this. But, you know, if he stopped right there, uh, we would just about walk out the door and say we're done, wouldn't we? We would say, let's hang it up. Let's quit. It's too high for me because this is what the Word of God does so often. And I love this. The book of Romans we've just references puts marks so high or the Sermon on the Mount, you can't climb over the top except you see a solution. And today we're, we want to see his hidden gift. We want to see that, that God does as he gives us this challenge. We look at this area coming back, we say, but hold it. Let's just look back at verse 8, chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. Hold it. If we say in verse 10 that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And we can say, that's it. That shows the Bible's a contradiction. No, what the Bible is, is a tremendous presentation of spiritual truth that has all kinds of tensions within it that pull and challenge us to respond to the Holy Spirit in every place we are. It is what you might call a biblical tension. It, it needs to be there. We need to get the check and the encouragement. We need to get encouraged here, but challenged here. The Bible is amazing in the ways it, it, will, it, it will work that way. A couple days ago, I was hauling a four-wheeler uh, from one place to the other, 
And as I was tying the four-wheeler down, a little Honda four-wheeler, on my pickup, I was thinking about this principle. And all of a sudden, as I was tightening the strap on the four-wheeler, I realized I was on the fender. And if I kept pulling, what's going to happen was what I was trying to secure and use positively would be used negatively because it would cut into the paint and possibly even break the four-wheeler's fender and that type, and I would lose the blessing. And there's a tension, a tension in the Bible that is so important that we recognize when we look at a verse like this, that God says, I'm going to call you to stretch as far as you can. I'm going to ask you to give everything you've got. And then I will be there. I will strengthen. I will be there. And I'm going to surprise you about how I come back and how I even choose to bless. How many people here have been surprised with the blessings of God? Wow. Probably this week. How many people have been surprised with the answered prayers of God? Just wow. You know, just God just says amazing things. And if we notice here, I want to read this verse with the next phrase here. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I don't want you to go there. I really don't because I know how it separates from me. That's probably the first thing. It hurts other people. It separates from me. You don't have the communion. You don't have the fellowship. But then he begins to address this hidden gift. The reason I say it's hidden, I jot it down hidden, is because sometimes we miss this in all the do's and don'ts of the Bible. We chase for, we even grit our teeth. I'm going to make it. I know I will. I've, got, I, I've been to another seminar. I've read another book. I've got the concept. And all of a sudden, God stops and says, you forgot, you left me out of the equation. And here comes who he wants to be a part of this equation. I am writing these things that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, and I love that, the the brush of God is broad. Notice how wide he sweeps that brush, if anyone sin. It's not for a selective few. What it's saying is, for the person in this church this morning that may be struggling the very most, you, you can't even say what happened this week. What he's saying is, for you, as a Christian, If anyone sin, we have an advocate, if you notice with me, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. There's your surprise. I've set a standard there, and all of a sudden turn, look up, and there he is. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, you know, the word advocate is is an is amazing word. It is paraclete. And it is speaking about close family. When he's speaking about an advocate, it isn't like we make a long-distance phone call way over here and we call out to God and God says, okay, I, I've got a lot of things going today, so I'm going to come. What he's saying is, when we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, he's close family. He's really close. And here he is saying, we have this advocate. This, the advocate, we have an intercessor. I'm going to go on your behalf. We have a consoler, another word. We have a comforter. 
another definite word to define this beautiful truth of an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The word advocate describes someone too that doesn't, doesn't just write the letter, they walk beside you. They walk right with you. As you walk with Jesus, they're there. They're right there. And as we call out to him in the most amazing ways, he is that advocate. You know, even Job, think of everything Job went through in his life. He had boils from the head to the toe. He lost everything. Even his own wife told him to curse God and die. But Job himself saw this advocate. It was on the other side of Calvary. But he saw God as his advocate. And today we look and we see Jesus Christ the righteous. But here's what Job said in 16 and 19. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and my advocate is on high. And Job is saying, I've still got God. He's right there. He's rooting for me. You know, we've heard the expression, no one, ever, no one cares for us like Jesus. And that's so true. But there is, there is no one who roots for us like Jesus. And this is what he is saying. He says, if anyone, again, he, he is, I'm going to pick up the corners of the church. I'm going to pick up the corners of the city. If anyone sins, we have, to have an advocate with the Father. And this is who he is, Jesus Christ, the righteous. His name is Jesus. He goes to the Father. He says, Father, that's my child. Father, I gave my blood for him. The Word of God gives an expression of Jesus. He has many titles and many names, but one of them is the expression of a great high priest. And in Hebrews 2 and 17, there's several here in Hebrews. In 2 and 17, therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things. Notice how far he went. This is the advocate. He's been there so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews 4 and 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest, notice the expression, this advocate, great, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews 9, 11 through 12, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. He came as a man, that is to say, not of this creation and not of the blood, blood, through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption." Notice back to what we're looking at today when John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In the 17th verse, he says he's merciful and faithful. He is always there. He responds regardless where it is. In 14, it says, uh, Hebrews 4 and 14, he's a great high priest. He's Jesus. 
Jesus, the Son of God. And then we also have that he came and he entered the holy place one time, having obtained eternal redemption for us. I don't know how many years ago it was. It might have been 15 or 20 years ago. I got caught in a big mess up in north central Washington. What we did, what we did at that time, our company, we treated the railroad tracks and, this, and we would put a herbicide down to keep the weeds from growing into the track and obstruct the traffic and affect all kinds of things. And what happened was one day a gentleman sent me a, a lawsuit. And it was, he said, you wiped out my entire organic grass seed field of 100 acres and I've lost everything I put into it. And it's a very high strain of organic grass. And when those kind of things happen, and if you haven't been there before, I'll just give you a little advice. Get there quickly. The Word of God says agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way. And I got there quickly. It was about three hours up into north central, right up almost to the Canadian border. And I looked at that big grass field, and something was wrong about the field. I thought, it doesn't look consistent with any kind of application we would have made, but you cannot deny the field is dying. And I left with this heavy heart. I was a younger guy, and I go, oh, Lord, you know, this is, I don't know where to go. And then I get a notification that this isn't just a normal guy. He is connected through all of the highest levels of Washington State politically. And he owns the field. And he's mad at the railroad. And because you are indemnifying the railroad through weeds, he's coming after you. And then I found out something else. It wasn't just a normal guy, but he also didn't have a normal partner. The investigator that was looking at the field happened to be a very good friend of his who was investigating at him, investigating the field on behalf of him for the Washington State Department of Agriculture. And I go, what a mess. Lord, I don't know what to do. And I don't know how long I prayed about it, but then all of a sudden I remembered this guy named Tim. I had served on the Washington State Weed Board for four years with Tim, and there it was. Tim and I built a good relationship, and I found out he was in charge of all herbicide applications and operations through the state of Washington in Spokane. And I gave Tim a call. I said, Tim, this is something about this doesn't look right. I don't know what to do. There's a lot of connection here. I'm going to give it to you. We talked a little bit about, about what we've been doing for the last five or 10 years. And Tim says, don't worry about it, John. I'll, I'll take it from here. And the next thing I knew, I got a letter that said, the case is over. You're dismissed. We found someone else who had doubled their application aerially over that field and had wiped out the field. You see, his name was Tim. It was one call to one connected person at one time that made the difference. Now, when the Lord says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, he's not Tim. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's God. When you go to him, when you give him this, when you say, Lord, this is it, uh, I'm in a mess. I'm in a real pickle. I don't know which way to go. And God, I'm going to give it to you. God will just abundantly pour out his blessings. He's there. Tim's long gone. I don't know where he's at today. Thought, thought a lot about it. But all of a sudden, 
I just, as I was entering this, I thought, wow, I, he was quite a friend at a special time. And that's really one of the great teachings of the word of God is the Lord is teaching this great teaching throughout the Bible. I'm here for you. All I'm asking you to do is where you need me, just call out. I'm going to hear and I will do it. I've already got it. It was kind of interesting. The connected gentleman uh, of the field called me several months later and he says, there's only one problem. I needed to get some money because I've got some financial issues and this whole thing is dead. He says, is there any way you could write me a $10,000 check and, and, and take just because we're, we could be friends? I says, I can't do that because I won't bless you. It just won't bless you. But the word of God is so beautiful because it teaches that we have this great high priest, this advocate, and we, we we're, put, we're, we're put with this great challenge here not to sin, but he says, but if we do sin, we have this advocate with the Father. And you know, we have heard this so many times, but it, it bears repeating that one with God is a majority. When God gets on your side, it just happens. It doesn't matter where you're at or what God is taking you through. When God is there, you're majority. He does it. He opens the doors. He closes the doors. He carries the load. He provides the solutions. And he says, remember, don't sin. Sometimes we probably sin because we just don't give it to God. Think about that. We, I'll hang on to it, Lord. I'm going to hang on to this because it's my responsibility. And God says, you haven't given it to me. I'm asking you to give it up. I'm asking you to surrender it completely to me. Had an insurance guy I worked with for probably 30 years. His name was Trevor. And we would get these things coming annually, many of them because of the business we were in. And one day, Trevor, we were over in western Washington looking at a lettuce field, and he turned to me and he says, John, you know what you're doing? He goes, you're very diligent, but you're taking loads on yourself that you do not need to take on. We're your insurance company. We handle the liability. You're carrying loads that you don't need to carry. And I think sometimes when John writes that we don't sin, we're carrying a load that's too big for us. And God says, if any man sin, we have the advocate. He's there. I'm just waiting to hear. I'm just waiting to take the load. We have the advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And the, look, look at who he is, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then we go on and we look at who he really is, who the advocate is in the next verse. We have looked at this tremendous heart of God that we don't sin. He shows us the gift, but he shows us the preciousness of the gift in the second verse. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Notice how far this advocacy spreads. Sometimes we might say, yes, I know I have an advocate and I've been reading the Bible a lot and I've been connecting with God and got a great Bible study and some good friends. But the word of God's saying, he, he's an advocate for the whole world. The whole world. You say, well, how about if you're not a believer? He's still, he'll still be there. If you're not a believer in this room this morning and you open up your heart 
to the Lord God from heaven and say, God, I need you. I'm a sinner. I'm nothing without you. God's going to be there. And the word of God, when he, as he speaks of this, and it's a great big word, propitiation. There's only two times that word in this tense is used. The other time is, is in 1 John 4.10. And this is love, not that we love God. And John's going to define this beautifully throughout the book. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word is helasmos, and it's to effect an atonement or reconciliation with God. He sends his son to bring us back to God. Because see, what happens with sin is sin separates us from God. It's like when sin comes, it's like we say, God, I don't need you. We stiff arm God, but there's a gulf. There's a big chasm between us and God. And the word of God says that he, Jesus, is that propitiation for our sins. Romans 3.25, we see this word used in a little different tense, but it's expressing this definition, which is so big, really. It's so amazingly large that it takes a long time for little guys like us to get our head around just what all this means. Whom God dis displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. God sent his son to deal with the sin problem. Now John writes here, God's heart, his desire is we do not sin. And we're going to recognize that as a Christian, we grow to have power over sin in many ways. At one time, it was not there. Many, Every one of you, if you've been serving Christ very long, could say, there was a place that I struggled, but by God's grace, I'm not there today. But usually, there's kind of a little exchange. You ever notice that? Maybe uh, we say, uh, the pull in sin is no longer exactly the same here, but we have to remember a biblical truth, and this is why John is here this morning. Sin still lies at the door. It's not far away from any of us. It's, it's right there at the door knocking. It's saying, all you got to do is just crack the door and I'm going to try to hammer the way in. It may change from uh, action to attitude. It may change from an outward to an inward. It may move toward imagination rather than just outward expression. But what happens here is he is saying, we, we all need this, but we also need the challenge that we don't sin. And here's one more verse that I love that describes this propitiation, this beautiful expression. 1 Corinthians 1 and 30, you don't find the word here, but it's speaking about this great work of Jesus. But but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, this is who he is, and sanctification and redemption. And this is who he is. When we look at this one 
who the answer is. This is who God is. This is who his son Jesus Christ is. Wisdom. And from God, righteousness, sanctification, and also redemption. But we come back to this, this, the heart desire of God this morning, and that is that God simply says here in this passage, my heart desire is for you don't sin. Now, one of the beauties of the Christian life is, you, you think about this, the, the more we are able to avail ourselves of the advocacy of Jesus and gain that strength, the greater the, the least desire there is on the other side to sin. Just give that some thought. When we do not avail ourselves and we are living the, the life, trained to make it and trained not to sin, trying to be like the pole vaulter, I'm going to make it one way or another. Sin keeps coming in. But when we turn to the Lord God from heaven and say, I'm seeking your advocacy, advocacy Lord, you are perfect. You supply, you hear, you answer prayer, you fill in the gaps, you do it all then all of a sudden something begins to happen. We discover the hidden gift and the challenge of a desire towards sin isn't quite the same. Now remember, it's very important we get this. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It's kind of the word of God is like this beautiful pendulum that just keeps swinging. It will touch a truth here, God's sovereignty. It will touch a truth here, the free will of man. It will touch a truth here, uh, living for Jesus. It'll touch a truth here, trusting in Jesus. It will touch a truth, Jesus is coming again. Could be today. It'll touch another truth over here, occupy till I come. Just keep living for me. And John is writing to a group of people. He's challenging to occupy, to be available, to just, but still have that high sight on God's heart, because God's got that high sight for us. I would guess there isn't anyone here, if God could truly express to this body what his heart is for each of us, it would blow our minds. Because what God wants for us is, is wonderful things. In Isaiah, I mean, in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I just know the thoughts I think to you. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. My heart for you beats that you don't sin. My, that's where my heart beats. And my heart beats that you use the advocacy of the Lord Jesus Christ whenever you sin, ever. You know, sometimes we sin because we say we don't sin. That's kind of a subtle one. That John had already addressed this in the first chapter. He said, I've got that figured out. Wish everybody could be like me. We just crawled in the hole. And the Lord is saying, use the advocacy of my son. He's perfect. You'll never blow him off. You'll never blow him over. You'll never give any confession that will ever wipe out God. God's just there and God is just willing and ready to say, when you come to me, I'm going to hear you. I'm your advocate. You know, I... I remember years ago reading a story, and it probably wasn't true, but it, it spoke to my heart then, and I want to share it with you because it portrays a lesson of a man that was on a train one time, and he observed a younger man on the train that was fidgety, 
and the train was going down the track midday, and he noticed this man could not in any way be comfortable on the train. And finally he approached him and he said, I just noticed how fidgety you are and, and how much you're struggling. And is there anything you would like to share? And he says, no, I don't think so. But he says, well, you know, I guess I will. He says, here's what the deal is. He says, I hurt my parents very bad years ago. And I walked out the door and I left home and I didn't think I'd ever come back, but I knew I needed to come back, and I'm on the way back to see Dad and Mom. And he says, I wrote a letter, and I didn't know what to tell them because I don't know if they'll accept me, and so I just told them there's this oak tree along the track right before the train stops at the depot that I remember from the time I was a little boy. And he says, uh, Dad and Mom, if you accept me, would you tie one yellow ribbon to the oak tree? Just one yellow ribbon, and I'll know it. And this man and him got fairly close, and he says, we're just about there. And he says, I can't look up. I just, would you look up for me and tell me if the ribbon is there? And he hung his head, and the man looked, and he says, I know it's getting close. And then he says, you know, sir, I, I don't see one yellow ribbon I see over a hundred ribbons. They're saying, come home. I'm your God. That's who I am. God doesn't put a hundred ribbons out there. He doesn't put a thousand. What he does, he just gives us his love and his word and says, it doesn't matter where you have been, no matter what you've done, if you'll come home, I will just accept you. And if you think about this in light of the text this morning, if any man sin, maybe if anyone sins, uh, that's all of us. That's, that's all of us. It doesn't leave any of us out in this room. If anyone sins, we have this advocate that says, welcome home. Welcome home. Just tell me what you want me to carry to the Lord, and I'll do it, because that's who I am. I'm Jesus. And this is what Jesus does. This is why John was writing this this morning, because he recognized that uh, God's children can always see Jesus, sometimes just like on a great big throne, and forget the truth, the great gospel truth, that Jesus is just coming to us, in the most amazing ways, and he really cares. A lot of us got something right this morning we'd like to share with Jesus, and I do not want to hinder that one bit. It can be shared at the seat. It can be shared up here after services. It can be shared with a brother. But even as we share with the brother or sister, I want, I want to give you this. Don't ever forget that the great advocate is Jesus. Sometimes we can overshadow that in our very attempt to assist someone else. The great advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is that perfect, perfect person to go before the Father and say, my father, this is my child, my daughter, my son. I died for them. I hear their prayer. And God does amazing things. Here's a, a special verse I want to leave you with this morning. 
in John 6 and 37. Maybe you are one of those that sinned. I don't know. Maybe you're in the middle of something that says, God, I don't know what. This is a mess. This is a real mess. But here is a verse this morning. All, John 6 and 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. And this is what God's promise is. And I give this to everyone here this morning as we come to the end of this message, that let God speak to us about his heart's desire for us, but also accept that precious gift of his advocacy. It's an amazing gift. Let's pray. Father God, we, we, we lift up your name this morning, Lord Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name that... Uh, Every knee will bow and every tongue confesses that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, today we look to you as our advocate, our great high priest, our intercessor, Father. And because of this, O oh Lord, we come to you and we ask you to take every burden, every load, every sin that we have carried and that we could cast it all on you knowing that you care for us, that we could surrender it all to you this morning, Lord. It may seem big to us, but to you, Lord, it is simply what you do. You take it to the Father. You forgive and cleanse and restore, just like we, we've read and studied in 1 John 1, 9, and you restore us unto all, all righteousness. So, Father, wherever you have spoken this morning in this sanctuary, to whomever you have whispered in their ear something, something, Lord, a person, a place, a circumstance, oh God, I pray that today they will respond to you in faith as their advocate, our advocate, our great high priest. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.